Oops. All right. Well, first of all, I want to thank everyone for coming and hope you got enough to eat. Anyone hungry? No one's hungry. All right. And we also want to welcome those that are getting on Facebook Live tonight. What I'm going to be dealing with tonight and talking about is the allegorical reality of the woman at the well. And I know the first question people are going to ask, well, you don't believe it happened literally? You know what my answer is, home folks. I don't care. <laughs> uh, and possibly it was a literal story. But what does that do for us when we're just looking at the literacy or the literalism of the woman at the well? Just as we were dealing with the Syrophoenician woman. She had the daughter that was vexed with the devil. But all of that was happening within her. That was what she was producing because she was living out of the lower emotions, which produced lower fleshly desires. Same way with John the Baptist. We saw all of that happening within us. John the Baptist is our Christ mind. Herodias represents the lower emotions. We talked about Salome that had to do with the left side of intellect, reasoning, and so forth. But all of that was happening and is happening within each and every one of us. So I think when we begin to look at it, could someone bring me my chart? I forgot my brain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good idea. It's kind of tough, heavy, so I kind of have to be careful with that. I forget my brain every once in a while, but you know what? That's not a bad thing because we're not talking out of the brain. Right. We're talking out of the in-Christed awareness as we bring the right side to the left side, and then it's projected out to the screen of our life or whatever you're dealing with at the time. So as we deal with this woman at the well in an allegorical sense, the story goes like this. The disciples and Jesus had been in a place, they had been in Judea, and they were making their way back from Judea they departed into Galilee, and Jesus, it says, was led to go into Samaria. So what did they do but stop off at Jacob's well? Now what Jesus did was he sat down in the well, Scripture says, because he was tired. I don't believe he was tired as the Son of God. Right. And so he sat there, and he was weary, it says, and using the word weary, while the disciples <laughs> went to Jerusalem to get some Jerusalem burgers. <laughs> because they had food on their mind. And so a conversation ensues between Jesus and this woman about water and about the well. So here is Jesus. He's seated on this Jacob's well. He's tired. The disciples have food on their mind. And to do justice to this story, we must move beyond. If we really want to experience what was happening here, where the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere is concerned, then we have to take this in an allegorical sense rather than in a literal sense. Now, someone says, well, where do you get the authority or the right to make these stories allegorical? Well, there's a lot of, lot of scriptures. Proverbs and Psalms talks about dark sayings. Paul 
talked in Galatians chapter 4 about Abraham and the two sons and the two women as an allegory. He said it is an allegory. Paul also said, one of the writers of over two-thirds of the New Testament, he also said that the word taken literally kills, but the word of God taught spiritually, symbolically, parabolically, allegorically, ministers life unto us. So that's the way we want to look at this. So if you have your Bibles or devices, whatever you use, let's go to John chapter 4. Now, I can formulate this story as when the sun on the 21st of December goes down into the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, passes through the crux or the cross, is there until December the 21st, that's the macrocosm, but it also happens as the microcosm, I can liken this story to that, and as, as the sun begins to rise, and when you see the word sun, because our sun is an energy, right? When you see S-U-N instead of S-O-N, you can apply that rather than to Jesus, the Son of Man, you can apply that to the energy within our physical bodies, on our backsides, that opens up the energy fields, begins to rise, touching the pineal, going further to the right, and spring and summer comes to your life, spiritually speaking. And I've shared with you before that the pineal produces a golden-colored substance or oil, the pituitary a milky, or it could be vice versa, but a milky substance. So there you have entering into the land. You have entered, when you experience what I just talked about, you enter into the land because the land talks about our body. You enter into the land of milk and honey. And you begin to experience that. Now, I said that to say this. That's the microcosm. As in the heavens, so in the earth. Out there in the atmospheric heavens. But as in the heavens here, between our ears and our awareness, the awareness is a projector, projects it out into the screen of our life or into our body. So as it happened in the macrocosm, so it happens in the microcosm within us. And this is exactly what this woman at the well experienced. She allowed, as she partook of this, as she was told to turn within by Jesus to the well within her, then she began to experience springtime of her life, summertime of her life, and when that energy goes up and touches the pineal, touches the pituitary, enlightenment begins to be opened up in your life, an explosion, it's the age of Aquarius for you, I might say, you experience an enlightenment and a spiritual experience like you've never experienced before. Now, we've been through this before, but in Malachi chapter 4, I think it's verse 2, it talks there about the sun, and it's not S-O-N, it's S-U-N, sun of righteousness shall arise within us, the backside, with healing in his wings. A lot of maladies, physical maladies and diseases can come to us as a result of the failure of that energy, that S-U-N, flowing up from the lowest part, the sacral area, up all the way up to the seventh energy field, which is the pineal, going to the right, just as in the natural and the macrocosm, and opening up a whole field of spiritual reality to us. Now, I know religion doesn't want to touch this, and they'll call me New Age for this, and I could care less, because I have experienced some of this, and I know that 
I know that I know that it's the truth. So in other words, this woman at the well allowed the energy as she turned within, and that's what it takes, the meditation, the pondering, not a long time of meditation, not tying yourself to the chair and saying, I'm going to meditate for four hours. It's not about that. It's a few seconds throughout the day. But as we give ourselves to that and we give ourselves to pondering, thinking on these things, as Philippians chapter 4 says, then that will cause that S-U-N of righteousness to rise up and bring about the opening of those energy fields which will enhance the health of our physical body. And so what this woman was experiencing was this energy within her began to rise just as it rises in the trajectory around the earth. The same thing happened in this woman. And what it did is it opened up, it opened up within her a well of knowledge, of understanding, of light, of health, of anything that you can think about that's good and that is from God. Now, if you hang on to John chapter 4, I want you to go to Mark chapter 4 and verse 11. And we'll read that a little bit later in John chapter 4. Let me bypass that too for just a little bit here. But in Mark chapter 4 and verse 11, she came into the understanding of a mystery. Now, the word mystery, according to Paul the Apostle, is mysterion in the Greek, and it means a sacred Secret. When this energy flows in our energy fields, that's something sacred. It's the chrism. It's the colostrum. It's the same energy that flows, and it's the same, you know, when a mother nurses her baby, it's called colostrum, and it has every known nutrient in it, and it really is that which develops the brain. Isn't that interesting? So it's the same chrism. It's the same anointing. It's the same colostrum. It's the same unction. Call it what you will. They're all the same words that begins to flow within us when we can give ourselves to meditation or when we can turn within to the well. I think Dr. Luke said, physician heal thyself. What was he meaning? He was meaning if you can learn as this woman to turn into the well within and live from the inside out rather than from the outside in, you can experience this in spirit, in soul, in body, in your whole anatomy. Now, just part of it, but you're holding that. And the wonderful thing about that is we already have all of that. He is my help personified. He is my wealth personified. He is my all in all personified. We already have it. So why do we wait to die and go to heaven or fly out of here in the rapture? Right. We can experience it in the lovely here and now. You ever seen these cars convertible cars and people are flying out, you know, going to heaven? <laughs> I'm leaving here, Mabel, going to heaven, the rapture's taking place. So carnal. And you won't find that anywhere in the scripture. The rapture is to love with a loving grace. Not only the Father's love for us, but our love for one another. To love with a loving grace. So, so mystery, Paul defined mystery, mysterion, as a sacred secret of God, a sacred secret of spirit within us. So here in Mark chapter 4 and verse 11, look what it says. And this is why Jesus was talking in parables. How many know he only spoke in parables? He never spoke any other way. He over a hundred times used metaphors. Jesus over a hundred times spoke with metaphoric language. And he always spoke in parables. Why? Well, look what it says here. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery. Now let me put another word in there. Unto you it 
is given to know the allegorical meaning. Wow. <laughs> Unto you it is given to know the parable. Yeah. But won't you stay a parable? You know what the parable is and what it points to. And it always points to us. Every, every story in the scripture, every name has to do with an experience that we go through. Every story can be ministered the way we have been ministering this for over two years. So unto you it's given to know the mystery. Or you could say the hidden truth. How many know in Revelation it talks about the virgin consciousness and I've shared with you that on the left side, God gave us the left side, nothing wrong with the left side. In the left side, there's a part that has never been touched by man, and I call it the virgin consciousness. Never been touched by man, the virgin consciousness. So in Revelation, it talks about virgins coming into the understanding of the hidden manna. Not just manna, not what is it, duh, no. The hidden manna, the spiritual manna, the truth. The truth. So, and he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery or the parable of the hidden manna of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without. Now, we know Luke eleven fifty two says that the key of knowledge is turning within. And he talked to the lawyers there and he said, You don't turn within and you hinder those that want to turn within. And he associated it with the key of knowledge. So the key of knowledge is not the left side in and of itself of intellect, reasoning, and logic. The key of knowledge is turning within the Christ and coming to understand this mystery. And you'll only do that when you understand the allegorical reality or the parabolic language or the symbolic language or the spiritual language. A lot of words I could use. Or the dark sayings, as Proverbs and Psalms talks about. Now... There's a reason why he talked, why Jesus, when he ministered, talked in coded messages. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, it says it right here. Because unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. The point being, where is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God, according to Luke 17, 21, is within you. It's not righteousness. It's, it's not meat nor drink. It's righteousness, peace, and joy. And it's within you. It comes not with observation. The kingdom of God is within you. So he's saying here that we will come to the understanding of the parabolic, of the symbolic, of the spiritual, of the mystery, of the hidden manna once we begin to turn within and realize that's where our answers come from. I think Job even said, my help comes from within. My help comes from within. It doesn't come from without. It's not intellect. It's not about the left side in and of itself. Again, God gave us this. Nothing wrong with it. But when we live out of this in and of itself, then we get into trouble. There's a problem with that. Now, go back to John chapter 4. And as we read here, we find Jesus sitting on this well. A woman is approaching him. But the first thing that I want us to notice, do not look at Jesus as a man outside of you. Come on, in this story. There you go. I want you to look, in everything I say tonight, I want you to look at, at Jesus. And I'm going to see, when I, when I hear Jesus, I think of the eternal Christ. Yes. Not so much a son of man. In fact, let me go off on this a little bit. Can I go off on you a little bit? <laughs> Jesus said, I myself can do nothing in and of myself. What I see the Father do, that's the only thing I do. What I hear him say, that's the only thing I say. Another place he said, if I give witness to myself and testify of myself, don't even believe it, it's a lie. Yeah. I can do nothing. Yeah. He never wanted to be worshipped. No. He never wanted to be 
be served in the sense that many, many people. And I heard someone say just yesterday that right now what is taking place spiritually is we are being moved from the theology of Jesus yes. to the revelation of the Father. And Jesus said over and over, he came here to reveal the Father. Nothing wrong with Jesus. Don't misunderstand. Jesus went to the cross as Son of Man. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. He was raised three days later. And we've talked a lot about that. But now, again, what I want us to see as we read here in John chapter 4, look at Jesus or the Christ not as an individual apart from you, separate from you, but look at the electrical impulse within you. You know your brain works by electricity? Yes. Your whole body works by electricity. So look at Jesus or Christ here as the electrical impulse on the inside of you, the inner impulse on the inside of you. Now look what it says here as we, as we read this here. Begin in chapter uh, 4 of John, verse 3. Look what it says. It says, first of all, he had to go through Samaria. What does Samaria mean? What this is saying in saying that Jesus had to go through Samaria, Samaria, sound like a New Yorker, Samaria, he had to go, he had to go through Samaria, and Samaria means the Watch Mountain. You're taking notes, you might want to jot that down. Samaria means the Watch Mountain. So in other words, this Christ impulse in us, the right side, is located at the Watch Mountain, the high place, the mind of Christ, the realm of spirit of the right side. Okay, that's the Watch Mountain, the Watch Tower, but really it's Watch Mountain, and it's on the right side. Now look at verse 5. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, or Sychar, however that's pronounced, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Sychar, or Sychar, means a liar. So we have Samaria, the watch mountain. We have Sychar, Sychar, we have the liar. So in other words, in the midst of all of the lies that try to enter in through the left side, because this is where the lies try to enter in through, is when we're living by the left side in and of itself. That's the only place it can come. It can never come through the right side. If we're living in the left side, intellect, mere intellect, human reasoning, sensual logic, that's where the lies can come from when this is not subject to the right side or to the Christ mind. Right. Now, we saw that with the Syrophoenician woman a couple of weeks ago. So, in other words here, what we're looking at is an allegorical reality of the fact that when we are living from this right side, this Christ mind, this realm of spirit, we're not incorporating, but when these two are intercoursing together, and they're one subjectively, now they're already one objectively, but when they become one subjectively in our experience then, when the lies come, we're in the watch mountain. And we're watching, and we're listening, and we're hearing those lies, and we're realizing what is the truth and what is not the truth. So you see, we know where to look. We must get into our meditation, and we must climb up into the high consciousness to Samaria, into the 
watch mountain and we watch or we then become sensitive to the lies and we know when we're being lied to from the left side. You know, when we talked about the Syrophoenician woman and even John the Baptist, and we looked at those stories allegorically, we found out that out of the turmoil, out of the guilt, out of the condemnation, out of the lies can come the higher consciousness. Because when we're sensitive to the lies that are coming through the left side, that is when, for example, let me say it this way, Mary means bitterness. So listen, in the midst of bitterness, the child is born of a virgin consciousness. And what Mary did when she heard the words, you're going to conceive, she heard from Elizabeth. What did she say? She climbed up out of the bitterness. She climbed up into this watch mountain, and she said, according to your word, Lord, according to what was spoken to me, I received that, and I embraced that. And see, every one of us, each and every one of us, we come. And that's what happened to the Syrophoenician woman. If you remember, she had this daughter. But we taught it as not a daughter. It was all happening within her. And out of what she was experiencing, realizing that she had a lack within her life because she had birthed this daughter that was vexed by a demon. And the word vexed means paralyzed. So it was the Syrophoenician woman herself that was paralyzed. It wasn't a daughter that she had. And once she climbed out of that and climbed and realized that she needed to be living from the inside out from the right side, then it says that her daughter was made whole. Her wholeness came. The Syrophoenician's woman, uh, Syrophoenician woman's wholeness came. So this is what we're looking at here. Out of being vexed, out of hearing the lies, out of guilt, out of condemnation, when we realize, because we've been in the watch room, we realize and we recognize the lies, then we climb up higher than what we already are in this watch mountain. And we begin to live, instead of the left side and believing the lies, we begin to live from the right side. Or we begin to have that transmutation that takes place from the left side to the right side. But you have to realize, you have to walk through the door. As Danielle shared with us tonight. See, this is not something God's just going to throw up on us. Right. Right. Nowhere do I see in the Bible where it says God's going to renew your mind. Right. Nowhere does it say God's going to make you think on the lovely and the holy and the good report. Right. Nowhere does it say that. Amen. It's our participation. Yes. You know, in Philippians, I think it's chapter 4, it talks about it's God that causes us to will and do his good pleasure. And good pleasure are two Greek words and it means to think. So yes, we participate with God's perfect and his, his, his wonderful will and his good will by what? By bringing the Christ mind to the left side. That's good. Intercoursing with the left side. And that's the, this is the masculine principle. This is the feminine principle. So what we can see here in Sychar being, being the liar what we can see is that we can bring forth when those lies come, and they come to every one of us, when they come, we can bring forth from our virgin consciousness because we're living, at least to some degree, in the watch mountain. Amen. Yep. Now look at verse 6. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied. Jesus, the Son of God, being tired? You think it was a physical tiredness? I don't for one second. I'm going to show you why. 
But notice, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And, of course, we know his disciples, the disciples, went off to get food. Now, we understand here that we're going to find this Christ impulse at the higher range in the Watch Mountain. That's the only place you're going to find it. So you see, Jesus was seated at the well, and listen, the feminine principles are left side, the earth is specifically our left side, and if we will plow deep into the center of the earth, we will find not only the mind of Christ here, but we will, because we're one being, we will find that virgin consciousness. And we will, we will hit water. But the problem with some people, you know, I've heard people say, well, you know, I've pondered and I've meditated, nothing happens in my life. Well, you've got to dig a little bit deeper than three inches. You've got to reprogram and you've got to dig where, you've got to dig deeper than three inches. You've got to go three feet. You've got to go where deep calls into deep. But you see, we have to continue to burrowing down deep on the inside of us. And if we'll do that, we'll come and discover the deep waters, just as this woman did. You'll strike water as your own truth. And it'll be your revelation. It won't be someone else's revelation that they spoke to you, but it will be your revelation. So when the lies come at Sychar, you're in the Watch Mountain at least to a degree. And what happens? You recognize the lies that come to you. And you can do something about it. You don't have to be, you know, willy-nilly. You don't have to be, you know, all passive about it. You have been given, I have been given everything that we have need of to be successful in life and to have victory in every negative thought that would try to come to us. Now, it says here in verse 6, he was weary. Now, why was he weary? Well, he was weary. This is what I believe. He was weary. I'm going to show how you're going to get weary. He was weary. Jesus was weary, and he was sitting on the well because the disciples were going to get food somewhere else rather than from him. And that made the guy weary. That made Jesus weary. It made him tired. Now, the word city also can pertain to our consciousness. And so what the disciples were doing, trying to get food elsewhere, what they were doing was looking to their own individual awareness on the left side. They were looking to their intellect. They were looking to their human reasoning and sensual logic. And thinking that they could get the truth there. And so it caused Jesus to be to be weary. Now, let me just share with you what can happen within us, what I see this weariness as. I see this weariness as Jesus being weary, as it says in verse 6. I see it as our spirit, us getting spiritually tired and unmotivated where spiritual things are concerned when we fail to be in the Watch Mountain and recognize the lies that come when we fail to join the masculine principle with the feminine principle, I believe we can get very spiritually unmotivated and even lazy to where we don't want to do anything. We don't want to do any study or any research or any meditation. We don't want to do anything because we have not continued to think on these things, ponder these things, meditate, whatever you want to call it. 
Now, let's look in John. Hang on to John 4, but look in a couple pages, John chapter 6, and let's see that when they left Jesus there sitting alone, while they were going looking for food, let's see what Jesus has to say about us eating. Now, I'm going to say this, and I know some people won't like it. I do not believe that this is applying to literal communion of the grape juice and the bread. Who wants it just a shadow? I want the real thing. I don't want an imitation. Now, I'm not against it. People are serving it and doing it. That's fine. If I was in a church and they were doing it, I wouldn't be the oddball and not take it. I would join in. Naturally, I would. But let me just say this. There's something more real than the cracker and the grape juice or the Mogan David or whatever people use. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul talked about communion, and he talked about do this in remembrance of me, and he talked about discerning the Lord's body. Do you know the word Lord's is not there in the original? It's discerning the body, your body. That's what it's talking about. It's not talking about discerning the Lord's body. What do you need to discern the Lord's body for? <laughs> now look what it says here in John 6, 53. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. So what they did is they left him and they went to the city or the left side, consciousness, or the awareness of the left side to try to find some food when the food was within them. There you go. So what is he saying here? Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. <coughs> and because of the fact that the word Lord's is not in 1 Corinthians 11 where it talks about communion, it's talking about discerning our body. This is all happening in us, folks. If we aren't discerning our body, we're not going to. And what it says there, where it says, ye shall have no life, it doesn't mean you don't have life, because every man has life in him. Every man objectively has the life of Christ within them, whether they know it or not. So what this is saying, where it says, ye have no life, it's saying you are not subjectively experiencing that life in you if you don't discern your own body. And the blood speaks of what? What does the flesh talk about? What does the blood speak about? The life of the flesh is in the blood. Yep. It's discerning our own body and discerning our own life and realizing that we are just as much the Word made flesh as Jesus the man is the Word made flesh. Yep. Oh, but we don't want to listen to that. I'm telling you, this is where spirit is taking us. We're beginning to discern our own selves. We're no longer looking through dual eyes or a dual mindset. We're no longer being dual anymore. But we are beginning to see our oneness, which has always been intact from before the foundation of the world. But we have not been in the Watch Mountain, high enough in the Watch Mountain, to really realize it and see it. So the story goes in a different direction here now. In verse 7, he's sitting there by himself as always. Now see this on the inside of you. How long did we sit? Or how long did he sit at the well in us is what I want to say. 
And we never came. How long did he set up the well within us and we never came? And how many yet today won't go because of their particular religious persuasion? And listen, there's only one place to get this, and it's within. I don't care if you have the best preacher, the best apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, that the world has to offer yeah. a silver-tongued orator. Yeah. I don't care. You can have the best unless we get it by spirit. Yeah. We have nothing but information. Yeah. Head knowledge. Information. And listen, we will not, as a result, have this life. Oh, we have it. But we will not walk in it and subjectively experience it. Unless we begin to eat the flesh and drink the blood on the inside of us, discern our own body, and realize that we have never been separate from him, but we've always been one with him. That's awesome. So the woman comes here in verse 7, John 4, verse 7. And let me say this again, just as I said about Jesus here, forget the woman in a literal sense. But the woman is our left side. The woman is our left side. It's that, it's that feminine principle. Woman is always awareness. Now it can be lower emotions or lower desires, but woman points to our awareness and our awareness now, this woman now, has moved to the place of the well in verse 7, listen, to confront the Christ within her. When have we confronted the Christ within us? Until we confront the Christ within us, I don't care, as I said earlier, you can have the best preachers and teachers in the world, and it'll be nothing but head knowledge. It will be nothing but natural intellect. It will be nothing but human reasoning and logic. Now, she didn't know about this water because her awareness had never taken her there. There comes a time when our awareness, by realizing what it is in and of itself, will take us to the Christ within and confront the Christ within us. Until that happens... I'll leave it there. Verse 7. Now notice what verse 7 says. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. Because when we drink, he drinks. When we eat, he eats. According to Song of Solomon. See, we're giving our masculine principle nourishment by giving our feminine principle nourishment because the two are one. Yeah. Now, I shared this with you before. The Greeks had five levels of consciousness. They had earth, water, air, fire, and the Christ mind. And I just want to say to you that in Hebrews chapter 6, it talks about leaving the basic principles, the lower elements, the ABCs, if you will, of the doctrines of Christ. And one of them that's listed there, well, it says baptisms, plural. It says, leave the water baptism. Many, many people today have
have been baptized, had their head dunked. I don't care if you dunk your head 50 times. He was talking about what was it? Who, your mother that was baptized every way. Every time they talked about a new way of baptism in water, she wanted to be baptized. Well, I've been there too. I've been baptized quite a few times. But yet at the same time, I was never baptized in the true water of the word because I never was brought or told to get it for myself by spirit on the inside of me. You can put your head in the toilet and flush it. You can jump in the bathtub and say, I baptize me in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And most people, and I'm not throwing that out, I'm just saying that's the ABCs. Most people have been baptized that way and have never been baptized in what I'm talking about. So what you take is this earthly way of thinking of the left side in and of itself. You baptize it into the water, the spirit of the word, the water. It brings you to the air. You know, it says we'll be caught up to meet him in the air. And the air is, you get to the place where you take no thought of the lower of the left side. And then you have the fire, which is the cleansing that takes place. And then the Christ mind is that which is being manifested. That's what the Greeks saw as the five levels of consciousness. And most people today, they just want to fly away. Be caught up with Jesus in the air. Ain't going to happen that way. You know, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, where it talks about the renewing mind, most people read that because, listen, we only have one Christ mind. That's why I don't call this our other mind. What I call this is the lower thoughts. That's what I call it. We only have one mind. So in Romans chapter 12, where it talks about be not conformed to this world, that lower earth realm, but be transformed by the renewing of your, that's saying this, has, this mind has to be renewed. The renewing of your mind, do you know that the words of and your are not there in the Greek? So what it is saying there is you will begin to live from the inside out when you bring the renewing mind on the right side to the left side. Because there's only one mind, folks. Only one mind. And the word there for renewing is renovation in the Greek. In other words, the lower way of thinking is renovated. The lower thoughts, the lower desires, the lower emotions are renovated when you begin to bring the renewing mind over to the feminine principle. Now let's continue with this. Verse 7, what does he say? Jesus is saying to this woman, now remember the woman is in us. It's the left side. Okay? Christ Jesus is what? The electrical impulse of the inside of us. So he says in verse 7, bring me water. So when we partake of what I'm talking about, of drawing from the well, the depth of the well, when we begin to draw from the Christ mind or the realm of spirit, what are we doing? We are giving him to drink within ourselves. We're giving him to drink within ourselves. Now look at verse 9. Verse 9. Then saith the woman of Samaria, the watch mountain, unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? Listen to this. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now, I'm not going to take you there, but I could take you to Romans chapter 2, where Paul, the apostle, defined the true Jew. 
The true Jew is the one that lives on the right side. The true Jew, he said, there is not one that was born in the Middle East or their culture is of Israeli seed. That's not the true Jew. He said that right there in Romans chapter 2. He said the true Jew is the one that has circumcised the heart whose praise is not of man but of God. What is the circumcision? Spiritually, there's been an objective circumcision, but our circumcision is right here when we pay our tithes. What's the paying of the tithes? They say you use 10% of the side. When you give up that 10% and you yield it to the right side, that's the circumcision of the heart. This is the heart awareness. And that's the true Jew. Woo! That's what he says in Romans chapter 2. So therefore, in fact, hang on to verse 9 there in John 4 and quickly look at I want to prove this to you. I know there's none of you who don't believe it, but there might be some watching me tonight. Go to Numbers chapter 2 and verse 3. And this is where I made the chart. Let me turn this around again. This is where I came up with the chart. The Dan was on the north, representing emotions from the left side. Reuben represents the physical. He was on the south. If you read in Numbers 2, you see that. Ephraim was on the west, representing intellect, reasoning, and logic. But Judah was on the right. And when you look north, what is east? The dotting of the new day. It's on the right. You see? So the true Jew is Judah. What, what Judah represents. And what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 2. So look at Numbers 2 and verse 3. I'm just going to read about the east side. The true Jew. It says, on the east side, toward the rising of the sun, shall they of the standard of the camp of Judah pitch throughout their armies. So in other words, the true Jew is Christ. It's the east. It's the new day. The dawning of the new day. It's the inward experience. Yes. Yes. And so no one who is an outward Jew or born in that culture is a true Jew. The true Jew has to be the one that draws out of the right or the east or the dawning of the new day. Now back to John chapter 4. Verse 9 again. John 4, verse 9, the last part of that says, which we already read, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. In other words, the Christ, here's the allegorical reality, the Christ mind has no dealing while you're in the lower thoughts. That's what that's saying. It's like Romans 8, verse 7 says, the carnal thoughts, I know it says the carnal mind, but there's only one mind, the carnal thoughts are an enemy enmity against God. They are not subject to the word of God, the law of God, neither indeed will they ever be. So when she was saying there that the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans, that's not talking about literal people, Jewish people and Samaritan people, not talking about that. Allegorically, it's talking about while you're living out of the left side. In and of itself, now, in and of itself, there's no there's no Christ mind being manifested there's no dealing. You have to yield. And this is what it means to circumcise. You have to yield those lower thoughts, those stinking thinking thoughts. You've got to yield those airheaded thoughts. You've got to create a vacuum. Remember what I shared about creating a vacuum? They put a needle in your arm and draw some blood and they pull back the syringe to remove the air. That's creating a vacuum. And then something natural, the blood naturally flows. So if we want that natural flow from the right side, we have got to create a vacuum concerning the lower thoughts. All the airheaded thoughts have to be yielded.
submitted to that side. So the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. The Christ mind has no dealings with the lower thoughts of the left side when you're operating out of the left side in and of itself. Now, also, when you read in Revelation about the new Jerusalem and the holy city, that's talking about the right side as well. And did you know on the Sabbath day, in fact, hang on to John 4, go to Jeremiah 17. On the Sabbath day, they could not bring anything burdensome, any burdensome thoughts to the left side. They could, on the Sabbath, they could not bring any burdens into the holy city on the Sabbath. What does that say? When you enter into the rest of the right side, there won't be any burdens. <laughs> You'll be living from the right side. There won't be any chance of the burdens to be brought, or guilt, or condemnation, or whatever it is. Jeremiah 17, 24. And it shall come to pass, if you diligently hearken unto me, saith the Lord, to bring in no burden through the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but hallow the Sabbath day and do no work therein. <laughs> Now, let me take that a little bit further. Once we begin to engage ourselves into the meditation and thinking on these thoughts, once we begin to engage meditation, once we begin to, at least at the beginning, live out, or at least after a time, live from the right side, then as I said earlier, that which happens in the macrocosm happens in the microcosm within us. As the constellations, as as the sun came down on the 21st of December and was in the heart of the earth three days and three nights after it passed the cross, and Jesus was in the heart of the earth three days and three nights, it begins to rise up the 21st of December, 24th, excuse me, of December, and it goes to the right, and as it continues, as the sun continues to the right, spring comes and then summer comes. So I'm applying that to bringing no burden in on the Sabbath. There are seven energy fields. And once the energy through our meditation begins to come from the sacral part, rise up the seven energy fields, touches the pineal, moves to the right, and touches the, the pituitary, there'll be no burdens in the seventh. That's when you enter really in your body, in your body now. That's when you experience the Sabbath. Rest. Your body is at rest in peace. Don't we want that? Oh, we talk about immortality and there's going to be a group of people who ain't never going to die. Listen. We think that God, according to Psalm 139, gave us some organs in our body that have nothing to do. Every organ, every energy field, every part of our, every cell, what, 50 billion cells you have in your body. Every part of your body has a function, Amen. and when one is removed, another organ has to take over the work yeah, yeah. of the one that was removed. Yeah. And so we have been given these energy fields. So if we're really going to experience the health, and I've been reading up a little bit on Ayurvedic medicine. It's an Indian medicine. And I'm not 100% sold on it, but they knew some things that we maybe need to pay some attention to. And when these energy fields begin to be open, as I said here, when the energy or the chrism is freely flowing and the seven energy fields begin to be opened up, what's going to happen is health, the sun, S-U-N, an energy of righteousness is going to rise with healing in his wings. Yes. And folks, I'll just be honest with you. I don't 
think that we can experience this immortality that we have preached about and I've preached about for over 40 years unless the energy fields are incorporated. Call That's me right. crazy if you want. No, I don't care. Amen. Call me new age. I don't care. Hallelujah. It's amen. a part of what God placed yes. in our physical yes. body. Yes. yes. I so agree. Yep. Now go back to John 4. I'll try to close with this. John 4, verse 10. John chapter 4 and verse 10. Notice it says, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, this is Jesus now, in us, if you knew the gift you had in you, come on, hello? If you knew the gift of the Holy Spirit you had in you, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me a drink, thou would have asked of him within, and he would have given thee living water. In other words, if we would simply get out of the left side and lower thoughts and lower desires, you would come to the place when you start living from the right side, from the inside out, and say that a lot of different ways, rivers of living water will begin to come gushy out of you. Rivers of living water. That's the Feast of Tabernacles when Jesus spoke of that. And if we would only know that the one who said, give me to drink, is within us, and as we would look for him only there, rather than splitting these from sky covered in a white horse, yeah. tuning a golden yes. trumpet, setting everything right, kicking booty and everything. <laughs> That's what they say. He's coming back. He's going to kick booty. He's going to set everything right. A bunch of people are going to be cast into hell. There's going to be a seven. We know what, what all they teach about that. If we would only turn within and see each of these stories within us, every character, every story, then we would begin to draw out of our own inner well, our own Samaria, the high mountain, and when the Shikar, Sikar, however you say that, lies come to us, and we're at least in a measure in this watch mountain. Yeah. We'll know it. Yes. We won't be deceived by it. And so many people, you know, born again, spirit-filled people are still in that condition. Now look at verse 11 of John 4. And here we have the typical reaction of people today, which states, The woman saith unto him, Sir, you have nothing to draw the water with. The water's deep. From whence then hast thou the living water? And you see, this is what the left side will say to us in and of itself when it's having its way. You don't have a large following. Oh, come on. You don't have stained glass windows. You don't hold and embrace the penal substitutionary atonement. You don't embrace the rapture. You don't embrace original sin. You don't embrace that you came here as an old man. You don't embrace the sin nature. And here's the big one. You don't embrace that there's going to be a people that are going to be in hell squelching with yeah. weeping and weather and gnashing teeth endlessly, scorched and torched. You don't embrace that. And here's what Jesus said. You ready? Yes. He said, that's why it does work. Because I don't have any of that stuff. That's why it does work. Because we don't have that great following. We don't have the stained glass windows. We don't have the no penal substitution. Thank God we don't have the no penal substitution. We don't have the eternal conscience. We don't have all those things. And thank God we don't. And because we don't have those things and embrace those things, 
This is why it works. Amen. This is why it works. Amen. Verse 12, she questions, are you greater than Jacob? In other words, are you greater than the Baptist? Yeah. Are you greater than the Lutherans? Yeah. I'll hit yours too. Are you greater than the Nazarenes? Yeah. Are, you great, are you greater than the Catholics? Are you greater than the Presbyterians? Are you greater than meditation, denominations, natural intellect, human reasoning, central logic? Are you greater than that? And the answer is a resounding yes. Much greater than that. It's greater than all of these things because Christ is sitting at the well on the inside of you and I waiting for us to go within and activate that electrical inner impulse. And as we activate that electrical inner impulse, we're activating the well and it'll bring light and understanding and the experience of the day of Aquarius or the age of Aquarius. And we'll begin to experience the rivers of living water flowing out of us to where there is no end. No end from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Verse 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. In other words, the water that you're drinking from Jacob's well, from man-made ideas, man-made dogmas, traditions and doctrines of men, it's going to cause you to be thirsty again. In other words, the natural water that you're drinking. You're drinking out of the inspiration of man whose breath is in his nostrils rather than the inspiration of spirit. And what does it say in John 5, 39? You search the scriptures and you think you have eternal life, but these be they that testify of me. Not testify of a Jesus, the son of man that walked the shores of Galilee 2,000 years ago, but these be they that turn you to the withinness, to the inside, and realize your oneness in him that you've always had. Amen. Meaning, if you don't see the spiritual aspect within yourself, within your own will, you'll never have that life. You don't eat my flesh, drink my blood, you'll never have life. Oh, you have it, but you won't subjectively experience it and walk in it. Amen. So he's saying, yeah. verse 14, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I, now let me say this, I, Jesus? Nope. No. Nope. Nope. I, Christ. Yes. 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 I, Christ. Yes. Yes. Whosoever drinketh of the water that I, Christ, shall give him from within, <laughs> shall never thirst. But the water that I, Christ, within, shall give him, shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Yes, in other words, once we draw from the right side consistently, we have no need to ever again draw from the left side. Now, I'm not saying I'm there. I don't think anyone is. But you know what? We're on this journey. Yes. And this truth is being presented. And because this truth is being presented, we can embrace it. Yes. Now, verses 16 through 18 in closing. I like this part now. Go call your husband. Gets good. Go call your husband and come hither. Verse 17. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. Verse 18. For thou hast had five husbands. In other words, you've been joined to five aspects 
Brother Ben talked about four being the number of the earth. But see, four is also, and yes, that's right, it's the number of the earth, but it's also the number of this earth. The four, the four aspects, the intellectual, the emotional, the physical, and the spiritual, the four aspects of man, okay? So in other words, he says, I have no husband, verse 18, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast is not thy husband, in that saith thou truly. So this is talking about six husbands, or six aspects of mankind's anatomy that she was joined to, married to. And the first five was the five senses. And then the sex would be the lower emotions. She was joined to that. And so what he's saying is, I want you to take what is in your web and bring it and marry it with the five senses and marry it with the lower emotions. Take this on the right side and bring it to the left. And let the two, even though the two are one, they've always been one, but let the two subjectively in and in our experience, become married together and become one. That's what it's saying. So that's the allegorical reality of the woman at the well. All happening within. All happening within. Stop. Let's stop separating these stories. We're the Syrophoenician woman. We're the John the Baptist. And how can we get in prison and get our head chopped off? Well, we found out how. It's when we live from the left side in and of itself. St. John did not agree with Herodias and King Herod's getting together. And so that's why they cut his head off. And so if we're living out of King Herod, what that represents, and if we're living out of Herodias or Salome, what that represents when we taught that, then guess what? We are putting our Christ mind in prison. And we're beheading our Christ mind. Not that we don't have it anymore, but we're beheading the flow of the Christ mind. That's what that John the Baptist story represents. And then the Syrophoenician woman, we have birthed a lot of daughters that were vexed with the devil. <laughs> By drawing from the left side. But no more. I'm not saying we don't ever, but I'm just simply saying we're on our way to at least realize the importance of not living from our woman, not living from the left side, intellect, reasoning, logic. But we're learning that we need to draw from the Christ mind around the spirit and marry the two, intercourse the two together. Again, they're already one. Nothing wrong with the left side. God gave it to us. But you see, the negative thoughts, when we're living from the left side in and of itself, that's when the lies, the side char, can come in and try to deceive us until we rise up into the watchman and realize that we turn to that, that inner impulse within us draws us to this right side. Amen. Father, we thank you for your truth today. Thank you for your spirit that quickens and makes this word alive within us that we can walk it out, experience it subjectively. Thank you for the revelation. Thank you for the allegorical truth that we're beginning to see as we've never seen before. Thank you for your love, your grace. Thank you for this people. And we're a people that will endeavor to live from the right side rather than the left in and of itself. We thank you, honor you, in the name of the Lord. Amen. 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 Amen.